a week after we say Sony's too silent, here is our uh, state of play predictions. What to expect when we're expecting. <laughs> I think so. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, a PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, Mr. Saul Bridges with We Think It's Episode 130, as you just heard. I'm pretty sure I know it is. is. We're we're good. We're good. Uh, If you have never heard of us, we are, of course, a PlayStation podcast, but we talk about all of the companies, be it Xbox, Switch, or Google as they enter into the fray. See the things that we do like that they do and give them commendations for that, or the things that we would like to see Sony pick up that we think that they're doing well, or even the things that we think they're doing poorly that we'd like to see Sony avoid from doing. Um, of course, but we also, uh, inc- I, I completely lost. I don't know. I'm going to restart there. Anyway, if you want to find us, you can find us in audio format over on podcast services, be it Podbean, Google Play Music, Spotify, iTunes. Uh, if you are on Podbean and you want to comment and leave your ideas about anything that we're talking about, participate in the community state, please feel free to do so. Uh, as well as if you want to watch our beautiful faces, if you think that they're beautiful, then you can find us on YouTube. Uh, that's also every Monday at 10 a.m. PST, 12 p.m. CST, same for the audio versions. Uh, if you want to chime into the community state section that we do every episode, uh, then you can, of course, join our Discord, which is our moment-to-moment day-to-day life, where you can come in and talk to us, and we have a community chat section right there that you can get into and give your thoughts like some people have, um, and as well as join us over on Twitter, Facebook. We have uh, Twitter, we're at TriangleSQRD. Facebook is a group called Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast, and of course, you can always send your thoughts at any given time that you please. Uh Anyway, with that being said, I think we can go ahead and get this started off the right way, and that is, as always, Saul, what have you been playing? A lot of Link's Awakening this week. Okay. But that's kind of it. Did you play any Destiny? Because I know you, uh, in terms of watching the chat, I saw that you were planning to. Actually, yeah, I did play a little bit of Destiny, but there wasn't a lot going on this week with the Nightfalls, so like, I played a couple, Like, I played maybe two hours, and... Um, one night, just kind of hopped in. Yeah, and I did play a fair share of the Modern Warfare beta, actually. Um, I always forget that I play that for some reason. But, I yeah. missed it all the way up until now, and I was on earlier Greedfall in the little window I had to play games before I needed to start prepping. Uh, and RJ, longtime fan, listener, buddy, uh, he said, did you not download the beta and I said I completely forgot <laughs> so I, I saved on Greedfall went and downloaded it I hadn't had a chance to play it yet I had to get off uh, but I do plan to play that tonight and hopefully be able to answer the question of if I have any interest in this game or not but we'll see Go yeah ahead. if you play tonight well never mind I was going to say it's day night tonight mm-hmm. never mind I was going to say if you and RJ want to play tonight then we can all play together But I was going to ask you that I but def- then I remembered I'm definitely getting the game when it fully comes out um, so RJ if you want to play and anybody else who wants to play who likes Call of Duty let me know I already have two other people who want to play with us, so um, we have a group of three right for now. For Call of Duty for you, is it was it always banking on the multiplayer as to whether you wanted to get it, or have you had a, a an interest in the general for the story in the campaign? I think, actually, to be honest, Modern Warfare, the very original one, was going off of campaign, because Call of Duty 2 was one of the only games that came out around launch for the 360 that was good. Was that, it 2 or 3? 2. Two and three are, are almost the same game, it feels like. Pretty much, yeah. They do feel very similar. That was in the World War II vein. Yeah. But, yeah, Call of Duty 2, like uh, King Kong, all those games that came out around launch for the 360, Call of Duty 2 was my favorite one, uh, and the campaign was really good in it. And I remember thinking, like, that was before I had Xbox Live, 
and that was mainly just split screen games. So like going into Modern Warfare, I had Xbox Live at that point, but I wasn't going in for the multiplayer. I was going in for the campaign. It was only until I played the multiplayer that I was that I remember thinking this is a lot different than split screen stuff. Yeah, and I remember when that came out, when Modern Warfare first hit, most of what it actually had accolades for and people just singing its praises were actually for the game. Yeah. Like, you know, not for the multiplayer. For the story. That was really the often, I'm not going to say ignored, but it was definitely the lesser talked about thing. Everybody talked about how the campaign was realistic and gritty and how that was the first time we'd really seen it to that level in video games. And I remember that the case said photorealistic. Yeah. On the back. It's one of those things, too, that... um that was really interesting to play because it had some of the coolest campaign tropes in it with, with all the missions, like playing with um, uh, playing with Captain Price and stuff. The whole ghillie suit mission was really cool. All gillied up or whatever yeah. it's called, gillied up. That gillied was up. A, yeah, it's a good mission. I mean, it, or it was at the time. You know, that's a game I've not gone back and played. Did you play it at all during the... Um, the remaster? The remaster, yeah, that came with Infinite I played, War. I played Fair, through... Infinite Warfare. I did the same thing I did on the 360, like where I tried to beat the time um, in like the tutorial mission. Oh with like yeah, all the dummies. Yeah, yeah. but uh, it was one of those things that like I did that and I like I played. I was on the the hardest difficulty. I think it's veteran, um, and I got through to like the fifth mission. And I'm like, yeah, kind of done. This is kind of BS. It's just literally grenade spam, and I'm like it was the weaknesses of the old games. Yeah, yeah. It, it was one of those things that's like I, that enemy's gonna come through this door. Then all of a sudden he wouldn't. And I'm like, where's like they actually changed yeah. the sequence of the game to depending on where you're at. And it's like I got killed from a guy who walked to that window, so I'm gonna aim at the window. But nope, somebody came to the open door and killed me instead that time. I'm like, this is stupid. I can't like <laughs> I can't plan ahead. Well, and that's what gets so weird is that, you know, I remember that being a huge problem. Definitely we're talking about grenade spams. Mm-hmm. That was a huge problem all the way up through uh World at War. So that was, was World at War the one that immediately followed Modern Warfare, or was that after Modern Warfare 2? I thought it was, because I'm trying to remember, Black Ops came in between Modern Warfare 2 and 3. I'm pretty sure right? World at War was in between Modern Warfare and Modern Warfare 2. Yeah, that sounds pretty about sure. right. So, I don't know. I guess I, I, those games are often remembered so well, but I really got to say, I, I, first-person shooters have come a long way. Yeah. Since then, you know what I mean? So, And they've gotten to be much more of a... Um, much more of a delight, too, yeah, in terms I, of campaigns. Well, I think uh, I wouldn't. Um, they're definitely pioneering games in the first-person shooter genre, but I definitely think that they were uh, they they were very important in getting to where we are now. But there's been so many other games that have come along in different ways. Uh, even from a story perspective, I think a lot of people look towards uh, Spec Ops: The Line as what they want to see from a Call of Duty story uh, or from a first-person shooter story. I apologize, uh, and not necessarily always, but I, there's definitely grew to be that feeling there. I think Modern Warfare Two obviously had its moments too, uh, with some morally ambiguous things like the No Russians mission, uh, No Russian mission uh, at the very beginning of Modern. Warfare 2 and that seems like what this game is trying to do and that's where my general interest lies in that I might get it for that um, but yeah know. it's one of those things too that like I even asked last episode is this going to be like a like a, a remake or what is this going to be and it's kind of an it's kind of surprising to go back into in a sense um, just to kind of replay through with the familiar characters and cast but have like a somewhat Altered story is also something I'm kind of interested about. I'd say it's, it's kind of like uh, Ratchet and Clank for PS4. Yeah, you know where it's like you know who these people are, and you know, and the name is the same for the most part. But what you're leading up to in the long run 
is that even though it's all familiar, there's an air of unfamiliarity to it all. Yeah. Now, I'd say that the Ratchet and Clank was a little more aired towards trying to just reinvent the same story but change a little bit of things, whereas this seems like it's more about reinventing the feeling and the tone of the of the original game. Right. But I don't think that's to the bad thing. I mean, if anything, I'm surprised that they're that they're taking this big of a risk, but it's also not a risk all at the same time. Uh but following the fact that they their last game was Infinite Warfare, which was not incredibly well received. I mean, it sold well still cuz all Call of Duty games do. Right. But, you know, bringing it back to where Infinity Ward's working on this again. I, I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting thing to come back to. Um What have as, you been playing this week though? Yeah, um I played courtesy of Josh sending me some of these uh, Rattalaika games, uh, Rattalaika, whatever, however you pronounce it. The little games I was telling you about that are quick platinums, but they're also just, the games are mostly, like, they have a story, but they, a lot of them, rather, not all of them, a lot of them rest primarily on gameplay mechanics. Right. Uh, he sent me a bunch of them, and I appreciate that, Josh. I uh, hope you're enjoying Borderlands 3. Um, but he, uh, I, I decided to start playing one, and the first one that caught my eye, and I love that all the games come out on Vita, uh, and I was going out of town, so I was like, well, I don't want to bring anything other than my Vita anyway. It's small. It's easy to do. It has, it carries a large charge. It'll last a long time. Uh, so I ended up playing uh, beforehand just to see if I'd like it, uh, a game called Siberian, uh, the time-traveling warrior, something like that. The basic premise of the game is that it's a, a warrior who's going through, and it has a King Arthur, like there's a sword and a stone, and he goes to pull it out, but when he pulls it out, it teleports him to the future or at least modern day uh i'd say the future with that's what kinda, stuff's going on cool and it's real short it's not a long game by any standard but it's pretty it's, it's it's challenging in a good way you know it's very mechanics driven and as you continue to go through and beat the stages you unlock new things that you can use and i'm on the final stage right now um hmm. been enjoying it um it's one of those games that forces me to slow down and realize that some modern games have really the simplicity of old games is a really good thing because it's like these these things are always going to ring true. And it it always is one of those things where it's like, there's a pattern here for this boss. And as long as you pay attention to the pattern, you can always learn what to do. But you're so used to the modern games having such more complex patterns and stuff and more freedom of movement, all these different things, where it gets to a point where it's like the constraints are kind of nice because they, intro, they, they reintroduce a challenge that at one point in time wasn't so challenging to me. But now that I'm not playing those games as often, it's like, oh, this is actually kind of hard because... I'm used to being able to get away with a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but it was nice, and I really enjoy it. So there's a couple of other ones that I plan on starting, too. I'm probably going to play them exclusively on Vita just because I've been looking for something to play on Vita anyway to appreciate my little baby. Um, so that was that. Uh, I did play. I picked up Greedfall. Uh, I know that I've talked about it a number of times as to whether I wanted to get it. I was I really heard, interested to see where Spiders was going to go. And I heard you said it was kind of clunky. Uh, a little bit. Uh, it's not bad. It is... All of their games have had odd combat to me. Yeah. And it's about figuring out how their combat works, but it's also because I decided to start on the hardest difficulty, and it felt like nothing was ever going the way that the game was telling me it was supposed to go. Uh, but also I realized how hard it was going to be to platinum the game, and I mean that from multiple playthroughs. You've, you've got to play. Time. You've got to beat the whole game on the hardest difficulty for one of them, which is why I decided to start there. Um, but you've got to replay the game so many times anyway, and it was just frustrating me. So I dropped it back down to normal difficulty. I said, I just want to play the game and, and enjoy it, and I'll get to grips with the combat later. And I have, finally. Uh, at it first, looks like a fun game. I was still stumbling at first, even when I dropped the difficulty, but I wasn't dying as quickly. I think I could probably play on the hardest difficulty now. Um, but, yeah, I, I really like it. From You know what? something that old RPGs used to do that was really interesting is that they're really not overly focused on combat. 
combat is just one facet of the rest of the game. Like, uh, think about, like, old-school Bioware things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's... A lot of people have said, like, you know, Greedfall looks like it's trying to take up the position that Bioware is more or less left. Uh, more or less left. And, you know, in those types of games where you're running around and you see all the different people, a lot of the game comes down to talking about things and discovering things. Like, there is combat, but also one of the things I love is it's got a little bit of that Dishonored thing to it where there's a lot of ways that you can do the game uh, where depending on what skills that you choose, there's alternate paths for everything. And you could do violent paths. You could do sneaky paths. You could do paths where you see a, a weak spot in a wall. And if you've, uh, if you've got skill points in alchemy, then you can go through and make a potion and blow a hole in the side of the wall. That's kind of uh, cool. Yeah, it's a, I really like these aspects of it. You know what I mean? Um, so, and, and it's a, it's definitely their prettiest game. It's their most bug free game, even though it still does have some bugs. It's their most bug free game I've seen to date. And you played Bound by Flame, right? Unfortunately, yeah. Do you remember the problems that game had? A lot of like slow, clunky combat and frame rate issues, and uh-huh. I think there was even screen tearing in the game. Mm-hmm. Um. And the and weird difficulty spikes. You yeah. remember how easy the game was until you get to the first boss, and then suddenly the first boss is like one hit he kills you. But the game didn't do anything to teach you how to the you move sets that, that you needed. Yeah. Uh, so this game has almost completely fixed every one of those issues, and I really appreciate that because it feels like the game is less about combat. Though it's obviously a strong point in the game. There's so much customization that's really nice in the game. Uh, if you want to dump points into being able to craft, you can go to workbenches. And every item, every weapon, every piece of armor that you have, you can craft extra things onto it. So if you have a boring sword, uh, you can craft a new pummel for it, a new uh, hilt, and change the way the sword looks almost entirely while also giving it benefits in the stats. Uh, and you can do that with armor. So if you have a piece of armor, and you're like, well... You know, this everybody technically has this piece of armor, but I'm going to go through and add a pauldron over here, and I'm going to add, uh, you know, a metal piece across the chest that'll be like a hit guard. So you can you really can, customize it. That's kind of yeah, cool. It's really cool. I'm going to look into getting it um, in case it's like a slowdown of any kind. Yeah, sure. I mean, and, and uh, it's a $50 brand new game normally, but I, almost, I wasn't going to get it. And I went to GameStop. And what ended up happening is that, and this has happened twice now. Both of these are focused home interactive games. Uh, I went to GameStop a day after release for Plague Tale because I'd forgotten to pre-order it, and they didn't have it anywhere. Nowhere in town. And not because the game just had such high demand, because they only ordered pre-order copies. Yeah, that's, I mean, Seth told me yesterday that he was trying to get the, um, and I don't know if you were there at this point when we were eating, but he said that uh, he tried to get the Pokemon Switch Lite. It's like GameStop only took one pre-order. Yes, like, I've, what is I've the heard point, that story What elsewhere. is the point of the, your store anymore? Yeah, and that's that's the problem that bothers me. You know, I don't want to see GameStop go away. I do have a soft spot for them, and I like them. But you know, why they're does, doing it to themselves? Though. Why that's does why a dedicated care. game store that should have the biggest, widest variety of games available not have the game I want? But then I go to Walmart, they have the game, and not only do they have the game, they have it for ten dollars cheaper. It's kind of across the board. I, I, like you know, I think I begrudgingly might start buying the new games that. I can from Walmart. Oh, dude. So I told you, I'm not going to retell it on the podcast, but I told you about what happened with Amazon stuff and getting the Switch Lite. Yep. I was going to Best Buy instead. I did not go to GameStop. I didn't do anything of that. Mm-hmm. Dude, it's so, like, if you know what you're wanting to get at Best Buy, it's so quick to get in and out. Yes. And literally, it, it took, and I'll tell, I actually could go into this on Dickish at Best about GameStop and stuff, since this isn't really the place for it, but... Dude, the conversation I had with the guy was friendly. It was like it, it lasted the duration of the checkout, which is how those conversations should go. And then I was on my way. Mm-hmm. And when I, I buy I stuff from even, Best Buy, I enjoy it. Yeah, I won't even bother with GameStop anymore. But 
I'll tell the full story about that at Dickish on, on Dickish at best if you uh, remind me. Okay, yeah. <laughs> my we wife, can talk about I hate it. GameStop with a passion. Um, but anyway, that was an interesting setup. So I played that. I've played Borderlands 3, of course, with Porter and RJ some more. I started playing with our buddy Jonathan Austin, uh, who is the lovely man who sent us all these printed trophies, if you watch the uh, the video thing, the 3D printed trophies, which are very beautiful. And I very saw nice. John, John was playing the, uh, the beta, too. So, John, let us know what you thought about the beta. Yeah, I knew uh, he was going to. So. Yeah, because if, you, if you're getting it, I don't think Ryan would get it. But if you're getting it, once again, that's somebody else to add into our <laughs> into the fold. six. Yeah. yeah, sure. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and move on into uh, the what do the community say like we're supposed to and the last episode you know Saul and I when we first got together today we kind of were like you know I don't understand necessarily how it happened or the way that we did I think Saul and I both thought that we made it more clear that we were talking very specifically about Sony's first party and not Sony's third party uh, now second party I think is fair enough to loop into the first party so if there's second party games that we somehow did miss I think that's fair game on us um because more or less, the second party is still a first-party thing. It's on Sony's back to promote that game. Talk about it, go to shows, trade shows with it, promote it, uh, market it, all that stuff. I'm not talking about third parties. Third parties are obviously in a great spot right now. They're oh, yeah. coming out with a ton of games. Uh, but you know that was, that was true of last gen. Uh, and I'm just going to put this for comparison's sake on my own opinion. I think Xbox slowed down too much at the end of last gen. And I know that a lot of Xbox players agree with me, even friends I have who still play Xbox and enjoy the 360 and enjoy their Xbox One more so than a PS4. But I remember that what happened last generation with Xbox is that their last big exclusive was essentially Halo 4. And Halo 4 was a year and a half before the new console even came out. And that, and between Halo 4, the only other thing that really came out was Gears of War Judgment, which was a rather... Yeah, it was still an exclusive. I'll give it its credit, but those are pretty much the last two, and they had slowed down to a crawl from then, and they just kind of let the last year and a half be its own thing. Whereas Sony was on that in that last year, releasing like we already mentioned two very big exclusives at, at, that are big AAA games, and they also had things like Puppeteer, and uh, I can't remember the name of the game. I think it was called like Rain or something. But they had a number of little indie games that were also from them. Uh, very similar to what you saw, you saw Ubisoft do with like their Child of Light and stuff, where they had teams that were from them that were not independent teams, right? But they were smaller teams within their real developers that were making these games. So like uh, Puppeteer was made by, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Studio Japan, if I'm remembering right, and I think so was one of these other games. Tokyo Jungle is another perfect example. See, of, I don't remember any of these games. Yeah, and they were smaller games, but they were still being handled by Sony. They were first party games. Uh, and it was just being handled by different teams. And it was a, it was a really cool time. And that builds into some of the things we're talking about. But, uh, you know, regardless, the last episode was us talking about that. As far as we can tell, uh, and that might be skewed by a couple of things, it seems like to us, for whatever reason, and we can get into those, that Sony has slowed down on their marketing push, how much they're going to talk and reach out and commit to the community, go to trade shows and fan shows and things, and just kind of have a good outward face while also talking about the games they have coming up putting two or three more exclusives out or at least letting us know about them. And, and a lot of that came from rumors and talks that we've heard of. This is not done on the PS4. Like Ratchet and Clank's not done on the PS4. Blue Point has a PS4 exclusive that they're working on. And it's like, well, why haven't we heard about those if we're a year away from the new console? That's what gets kind of weird. Now we can dig into a little bit more. The last thing I'll say before we go into some of the things we got from our, uh, from our listeners is one of the things I don't think we gave enough credence, but I definitely know we talked about it is how does backwards compatibility being a for sure thing on this affect Sony's plans of how much they want to talk and market? Because the thing is, they can still talk about PS4 games later, and because of backwards compatibility, 
games that are still coming to PS4 and can still kind of define that generation will also still work on the PS5. And Saul, would you agree that maybe we just didn't give enough credence to that? Probably so. Yeah, I mean I, that that makes that makes sense when we you know, and we kind of brought it up in a in a in a, in a way as well that you know we talk about this constantly, so it could just be for us, you know. Mm-hmm. And I do think that a lot of this going forward is just to kind of reiterate what we did say or what I meant was that, you know, from from here till November, I know I'm getting Death Stranding in terms of first party big exclusives. After Death Stranding, I know Last of Us is coming at some point. I don't know when. We'll learn and very that's, soon. Yeah, that was the problem is that we don't know because they haven't been telling us these things. So, you know, to kind of reiterate that at least, you know, and I understand how people could definitely see, especially those who don't pay attention to first, third, and second party uh, stuff like that. I'm not, we're not talking about the general game library of that because especially right now, there's so much going on. That's yes. Third party was, is moving well, but they were at the end of the PlayStation generation as well. PS3, 360 generation rather uh, as well. So we're definitely not trying to say that the system has nothing coming out, but it seems like Sony's biggest strength, at least in my opinion, has always been their exclusive stable. And I think if you ask most gamers as to why they wanted to move to PS4, a lot of it has to do, one of the biggest features will almost always be something to do with exclusives. Uh, and I feel yeah. like it's a little weird for Sony to back off of that as much as they have. Um, but we're going to go ahead and go into some of these things, and we'll continue to put our ideas in as we talk about it. Uh, one of the things that came up, and one of the first people that said something was Mr. El Tabib, a longtime listener. I hope you're doing well, El Tabib. He says, for the last episode's community take, I do disagree to a certain degree. Third-party titles this generation have been as important as before, especially with Sony recently recommitting to nailing down exclusives, whether timed or indefinite. Given their mentality of not forcing developers to release games on an annual or every other year basis, they let them take their time to finish their games. I want to put a pin right there for just a second that's a really great point and i i feel like we touched on it a little bit last week and if we didn't enough that's fair you know sean has been very clear coming out and say uh, saying that you know and so is shuhei in terms of not releasing dates too early as to not give themselves to not get themselves stuck somewhere uh where they don't want to be where they're telling fans of games coming and then they have to delay it and when you do that too many times it definitely does have an impact um so I agree with that, and I understand what he's saying, and that's a benefit. I actually really appreciate that they don't they, they don't want to say, "Hey, you've got to make an exclusive in two years so that we can keep up some arbitrary number." But at some point, at the same time, it does feel like they're slowing down a little too much. But I got to give them their credit. Almost every exclusive they've had this generation, with the ex- exception of the Order and the Knack games. Uh, have almost all been universally praised. Yeah. Now, we saw that uh, last year as well, or last generation as well. I mean, the Killzone games that were on PS3 were pretty praised. The Resistance games didn't sell as well as they should have, but they got pretty well-reviewed. But I do think that the if you had to compare the way that people have perceived the games coming out between the two generations, I do think that there's more critically acclaimed games this generation that have come out and it's sold ridiculous numbers like horizon breaking, you know, 13 million or whatever it was. Um, I do think that that's an important thing to talk about. And I think they've taken a lot of stuff. So I agree to that extent. Saul, you want to add anything on there before I keep no, going? No, yeah, I pretty much agree. You know, especially like what you did say is that when they did have misses, they ended up kind of redeeming themselves in the end too, like the order, how, yes. how often it's on sale now. So it kind of did, even though it was, you know, a, a known miss at when it at launch, it's kind of redeemed itself as like, Hey, you know, it's pretty much 
almost always on sale at nine ninety nine, which is worth it. And that's a good point. When you say redeeming itself too, it gets, it does get to the point. While I don't, it, it's obviously not as critically acclaimed as the rest of their games, right. uh, and definitely not from a reviewer and like an actual reviewer standpoint. You do get to that point though, where there has been a lot of people, thanks to me, uh, and I'm sure other people that talk the game up. There's been a ton of people who've come out, played the game way later. Uh, after hearing all the bad things they'd hear about it and then saying, you know, I actually really enjoyed it. And it it comes to be this balance of like, not only did they enjoy it because they chose to give it a chance, they gave it a chance because it was cheap enough. So it does get to that point where the games have redeemed themselves. Some of the ones that weren't quite as big of a hit have redeemed themselves in the long run by giving the, by coming out at a price that's acceptable for plenty of people. Um, so I'm going to keep going with this real quick, though. He said, you could argue that, and I agree with the sentiment, that they blew their load earlier than expected. But in this day and age, showing the slew of games that are coming up helps, I guess... Oh, helps consumers. Part uh, helps consumers put their faith in their console and shows third-party developers that they are very serious about the console. So what I think he means right there is he's talking about the fact that they showed so many games so early and we keep continuing to hear about them, which is something that Saul and I have both lamented to some extent. Um, And that is a benefit of that. It's to the more core consumer. It feels like we're seeing something too much uh, to an extent. But to other consumers that are a little bit more casual, it shows that, oh, hey, if I buy a PlayStation right now, uh, these are some of the games I can look forward to before the end of the system, however long that may be. Right. And then it does add the benefit of letting third-party developers see that, well, they're not going to abandon the system, uh, which I guess I'll definitely give the clearance on the, the, the clarification on there. That is a benefit when you look at how third it's a chicken and an egg situation right third parties don't want to put too much support into a system that they don't see the first party doing Mm -hmm. because third parties also have the understanding that to some extent first parties are the games that are going to get people to come into an ecosystem more readily than other and then the third party games will be what fills that gap and the third parties almost inevitably always end up doing better because of bigger market reach and stuff like that yeah but still a third party does and this is a a great point when you're talking about the the vita and even the switch and how they differ from each other if you look at it it is important for sony after what they did with the vita and having very little third party support in the vita uh after that first year or two into its life when third parties started realizing that sony was kind of abandoning the vita and the vita wasn't picking up numbers the way they thought then what you ended up seeing was this situation where those started trickling down to nothing. On the Switch, we had the inverse of that to an extent. We had slower third-party support at the beginning, but the third, but the first-party support was so big and ravenous that they got people to love the system and buy it. They started seeing the numbers grow, and third-party said, huh. And then Nintendo announces another slew of, ex- of exclusives coming, be it you know uh, different remasters or whatever. And then third-parties look at it and go, you know what, we're going to put a little bit more in there now. And now we're to the point where third-parties are supporting the Switch better than any Nintendo console since this... I'd, I'd almost go as far as to say that the Nintendo 64. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there is a real value to having that. I don't think Sony needed that in the same way as Nintendo because Sony's always had a great partnership with their third-party people uh, and getting exclusive things somehow, some way, because of just you know how long their relationship's been going. They talk about their their relationship with E3 all the time, or EA, rather, uh, all the time, uh, and how long that's been going. And you know we see them with Activision right now. And some of these people only care about numbers. It's, a, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag, but that's a, still a good point. Yeah. Uh, Saul, so you want to add anything to that? No. He does have some more he wants to go into. Yeah, yeah. You hit the nail on the head with that one. Okay. He says, I guess The Last of Us Part Two is non-issue anymore given the upcoming state of play, which we can talk about in the news a little it's, bit. But yeah. hopefully we'll be meaty and we'll hopefully know a release date. Um, 
So he says that. And then he came back, and I feel like this was him kind of coming back a little bit to say, like, you know, to an extent we're right from a pure numbers standpoint, but he's giving his standpoint on this. And I, and I agree with a lot of it. Um, but he says, looking at the slate of exclusives between this gen and the PS3, it is in favor of the PS3 with much more exclusive games released on it. But thinking where Sony was in the PS3 era versus the PS4, they were in a very different position. With the PS3, they were fighting to keep themselves relevant. In the PS4 area, uh, era, they can sit back and relax and let the games whether indie third or first party do the talking they may have numbers saying that by this point that marketing or otherwise is not an issue uh coming to a certain periods of time to discuss their games is as good as talking all the time and that is true one of the biggest things that we have as an outsider looking in and giving our opinion as best we can Mm -hmm. is we don't quite understand where sony gets their information from that may lead them to make these decisions or if that's information that's even being there you think it is i have a good feeling that most companies really rely on market data yeah and market data has to be fed by something i don't think market market data is perfect um i like i don't think any study is ever perfect because it's always a small thing and that that becomes dependent on the area you're in the balance of core to casual gamers and that and core is a i do mean core gamers as a bigger swath than some people would consider Uh, but still i think that's important um anything on there no, yeah, it makes um, it makes sense, especially you know, going to your core gamer thing. What you mean by that, I'm sure, is mobile gaming stuff like that, where people are typically more harsh to judge on what is and what is a core gamer. Yeah, my my point of that is, I think a lot of people even consider people who. Uh, I think that you can consider someone not a casual, and if they're not a casual, I think they kind of go into casual, even if you wanted to kind of give it a bridge of a casual core gamer, which casual core sounds like the greatest new metal genre in the world. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Isn't there easy core? So I guess it kind of makes sense. Yeah, anyway, casual core, um, easy core. For music. But, uh, you know, you could say like a casual core would be like maybe the in-between. But I'm still going to fold them more to the core gamer of the people who do buy like a sports game every year and then also will occasionally buy like two or three third-party releases that are not that. I do think that some people gatekeep a little, and I, and I really don't like to use the word gatekeeping, but it's kind of a perfect example of what you're trying to get across which i feel feel like people try and exclude certain people from um from the status of being a core gamer because they want to think that a core gamer has to be kind of like me and Saul, where we buy so many games i don't think that's necessarily true um but i think that's definitely up for opinion and and argument as well um anyway to finish off l2b stuff real quick uh my before i go on on his i do agree the, yes, the PS3 had much more exclusive games on it uh, for a number of reasons. Partially because Sony needed to catch up, and they needed they understood uh, after their really bad launch, they understood that the only way they were going to get people back into their thing is to constantly release a, a great stream of games, support games that otherwise might not even get made, and just put stuff out like that. Uh, and we've seen that kind of go in through to this, this generation as well. But the other thing that the PS3 had going for it, it was on the market for two more years than what we're going to see the PS4 being on the market for by the time that the uh, PS5 releases is what it looks like. So yeah, that's, that's important. And I do think that there's a benefit in not just constantly releasing games because you feel like you have to, if you don't have to, like they did in the PS3, they really did have to, and they still put out some amazing games, but if you don't have to, why not let your people make the best game they possibly can Yeah, and build yourself a reputation that the competition does not have. Yeah. And that is a clear part where Sony has really won people over in comparison to Xbox this generation. Uh, Xbox has done better on new IP and getting exclusives out a little more often. Uh, but I still think when you look at critical acclaim, Sony has really kind of overwashed everybody uh, outside of Nintendo. Uh, but Nintendo still exists in a slightly different realm. So, um, 
So you know, I, really I, different realm. Yeah, I get a lot of his points, and I can, and I agree with what he's saying to a, a certain extent. Uh, one of the things I also want to bring up real quick, and this one will be a lot quicker, uh, comes down to Mr. Josh Ayers. Uh, he was talking about. Uh, you know, in response to this, he says, I understand how you feel with Sony slowing down, but I think you're just not interested in what they are doing in October. We have Concrete Genie, uh, Medieval. We just had Erica Shadow Drop. Uh, so, yes, Sony are not going balls to the wall with AAA games. They are making smaller games or at least helping smaller teams to release games. Predator Hunting Ground is another one that we learned about in uh, the earlier. I want to say that was the May um, uh, state of play. And he says, you know, that's next year. And the same thing, we only have... We only kind of had a drought. Um, and I did say, you know, in response to that, this was actually spoken about in the podcast discussion, but it definitely ties into this. Is And I think Saul would probably agree with this to an extent, but I know that I was more involved with PS3, so Saul's going to feel a little different. I already brought him up earlier, but he, I said, you know, I'm interested in what they're doing. Erica is definitely a good point. I, I, I don't, I'm unsure of where how I feel about it, but it is a smaller game they're helping. Concrete Genie and Medieval both look fantastic, and I'm glad they're coming. One's a remake, so it stands on a little bit of different ground. One's a brand new game, and I really appreciate Concrete Genie. I love Medieval, but I'm not going to give them just mad props for putting out a remake when there's more they could be doing because this isn't even from their. It's a first party game. It's a second party game at this point, but with a first party property. Um, whereas Concrete Genie is all across the board first party game, first party property coming together, and it's all new. I appreciate that. Um, but anyway, he says, you know, in terms of slowing down, they're going silent towards the public, and that was I think Saul and I's greater point is. It's not saying that these things aren't happening, but we're not seeing them often enough. We're not seeing the executives be as talkative on Twitter as they were in the early generation when we'd see them interact with fans a lot more, answer a little bit more questions, not be so tight-lipped, but also understand that there is a point in being a business and keeping some things under wraps. I feel like there's a better balance that they could strike. Um, We also see them skipping out on too many trade shows, uh, too many fan shows like we already talked about. And I guess that they... What I said on here is that with them skipping out on these things, uh, they plan to somewhat fill that gap, but they've never done it because there's no regularity to it. So state of play is a real thing, but there's no regularity to that at all. And I think that was one of Saul's complaints last episode. Yeah, it's like it's at least like the way that Nintendo does theirs and kind of just pops up with theirs randomly. At least there's almost a and what people have deducted down to almost as like a hidden schedule, like where we know that if or maybe even tweets reveal that it's coming soon and people kind of get this idea of like we're going to have a direct soon and we don't know what's going to be in it but here's what we think is going to be in it and well, then you keep up with them a little bit more than i do how long would you say has been the longest between the direct it feels like Ooh. two months is about on average you'll have a direct i'd say about two months yeah every two months you'd have a direct yeah whereas right now we're looking at you know two and a half months for the last day to play or the last day to, months. it was may. more than that four and a half months it was in may 9th it is it is almost october wow yeah so that's my point. Time flies. Um, anyway, and then you know I did talk about the fact that they that throughout the PS3 generation we also saw these little games. They were bringing up things like I said uh, we saw Tokyo Jungle, Jungle Puppeteer or that Rain or whatever it was game where you were like a kid running through and the rain would give you away. I never actually got to play the game, but the other two games were very good in their own rights. Um, but 
my last wrap up to that, and I think Saul might agree with this, and I want to see what you expound on it to any of that at all. Mm-hmm. Is the more I've thought of it, the more I feel like it's just a, it's partially a change in perspective. Not only because, like Saul said, we do do a weekly show, but that the way in which news comes is so different than it was throughout the time period of the PS3, where almost all of the news came via uh, E3 and trade shows. It's way more open now. They're way more different about giving information out on the on the blog and all these different things. Where if you want to reach out and find them, you can. Uh, but it still comes down to the thing of the mid-gen refreshes messed around stuff. They changed the way people marketed stuff. You had new hype words to come in off of, 4K, HDR, Pro uh, Enhanced, all these different things that come in. We see that on the Xbox One X as well. But that's not the same thing as to me as constantly talking about games. It feels like some of their talk has been able to go around just what the consoles can do. Um and then lastly, I said that, ironically, the one area that I don't feel like they're slowing down in, and I wish I would have said this last episode, is, I, is whether you like it or not, I don't think they've slowed down on PSVR at all, and I appreciate that. It actually looks like they're constantly realizing that they have to talk about it and put stuff out there because VR is still fledgling. Uh, and I guess that's why I look at these two things so differently. Is the PS4 is already dominating, so they're, they're being complacent. The VR is dominating their field, but not as much as it could have been or could be, and it's such an early technology that they feel the need to push it even further. But so, if you want to wrap anything up, I'm on just that. I'm laughing because you said whether we liked it or not. And I'm just like we stepped into a war with the cabal on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's pretty much agreeable. I think that everybody can can agree that that Sony has been radio silent for major games coming out to end off the generation with a bang, and that you know we're finally getting some stuff about Last of Us, but it almost seems kind of pointless because there's a Last of Us event. And then a state of play with that's advertising the last of us. Like, what well, I'm, we can get into a little bit more of that. Yeah, the I, event I, I is behind closed doors, but we were obviously going to get impressions from it. Yeah, and I think I have an idea of what we're going to actually get with the last of us and state of play that will go on in the main topic. But, but yeah, I think multiplayer. You think so? Yeah, multiplayer I mean, and Last of Us One is one of the biggest things about that game. It's still probably going. It's, yeah, it does very well. Uh, but no, I'm talking about more specifically a couple of things. But yeah, that's probably actually uh up there what's it called factions yeah okay but yeah for me i think that it's it's kind of agreeable like i said that everything that's been going on right now is something we really don't know a whole lot about in terms of what the next console is going to look like which is not or not uncommon to know at this point but it's you know we we have death stranding coming out we have last of us coming out what else was there there was death stranding last of us what was the third one ghost of tsushima ghost yeah Yeah. i don't know why i couldn't think of that and it's one of those things that's just you know well, the reason you can't think about it is because they've not talked about it at all since the time that they showed a lot of it. They Which went from saying nothing of it. E3 you remember? They announced it and just had a trailer. 18, 2018. Then they had PSX where it was there, but they didn't do anything. But And it wasn't bad, but it wasn't anything other than just talking to the developers. You didn't see anything new about the game. We didn't hear about it for almost another year uh, in between seeing the actual footage before we saw the E3 where they showed the really cool slice of gameplay, and then they just went radio silent again. It's, yeah. uh, it's been a very wild ride with some of these games. And I, I do think that... Um I do think that there has been some other things said. Like, wasn't there a kind of funny panel or something? And they did that. They had one of the art directors up there talking, and they showed off the art. Well, that was the panel where that it was the Ghost of Tsushima panel. I don't, I can't remember who it was that hosted it. I don't think it was kind of funny, but uh, yeah, that was at PSX where you got to see that, uh, and it was just them talking about. It. That's what I mean. It, it, it didn't show anything new about the game. It, it was at least talking about it, which is good. It keeps the game in the mind of the consumer and even the core gamers. Um, so. 
you know. Uh, but I think we've talked enough about this. I don't. Uh, I think we had one from Twitter that I'm gonna just cu- quickly throw in here um, because I appreciated that he had the. I mean, as soon as the episode came out, he he responded with something, um, and I really appreciated that he was that quick to jump on the gun and say something to us. So let me dig in and find it. Here we go. Um, so, Mister No Fate, Sean, uh, one of our good friends, uh, and patrons um says the he said i'd like to hope sony are being smart by holding their cards close to their chest slow waiting to blow our minds with the announcement of ps5 and then ramping up again going forward but we all know so sony could easily drop the ball and i think he mentions that primarily because we've seen them do that not only this generation with the way that announcements have been made and then slowing down and stuff like that, which I would consider dropping the ball, but the massive dropping of the ball with everybody is of course seeing what Sony did with the PS3 generation going into it. It's there's a precedent there for it, obviously. Um, So, you know, I appreciate that he said that, and but he he goes into ads after one of my, my, my responses to him. He says maybe they don't want to risk getting down again for false advertising like they did with the Vita, which was a big thing about crossplay being false advertised and stuff like that. Uh, well, no, it wasn't crossplay, was it? It was the cellular service. It was cellular service and crossplay. There was two lawsuits. Well, it was tied together. The cellular service was supposed to be able to handle crossplay, and it couldn't. Oh, okay. But it was marketed as, as if it, it could. could. Uh, or at least not marketed clearly enough that it couldn't. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's an interesting thing, but... It, you know, I, I have no problem continuing to have conversations on it. Anybody who wants to continue to give their, their feedback in, we did get a message on Twitter earlier that was somebody giving, um, if I'm not mistaken. Some examples. Uh, yeah, it was examples of, of some games. Um, so, you know, uh, it, it was, let's see, Gamer for Life. And I get that they're exclusives, and some of them are exclusives through the China uh, Hero Project, which is also important. We're going to talk about that in the news a little bit. Um, so, you know. Some of them are exclusives just because they're exclusives and they have nothing to do with Sony. It's just that the people who are making the games realize that this is the best market they have. It's in Japan and there'll be Sony exclusive for that. Some of it's because Sony's pushing them back and it's kind of a timed exclusive more than anything. Um, And then you have, of course, Final Fantasy VII, also a timed exclusive. So still, I'm willing to hear anybody else's point, but we're going to move on for now into uh, the news which I shall pull up since I accidentally closed from it, as I have done more times than I should have recently. Um, But first thing on the news is, um, of course, and then we'll go into it. uh, I'll go ahead and throw it out here as we've been talking about it. But almost five months after their last, Sony have finally announced a new state of play. So for anybody who's wanting to make sure they keep up with that, that's Tuesday, September 24th, the day after this goes live, and it's at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, So that's like 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. here uh, in the central time. So hopefully you can grab onto it. I don't know any of the uh, time periods for Europe or Australia or anything. So (laughs) good luck, guys. I'm sure you know it. like Saul was talking about, it's been confirmed that Naughty Dog, uh, by Naughty Dog, that The Last of Us Part Two will be shown off during the live stream ahead of its Behind Closed Doors event uh, on the same day. It's a media event where select members of press will allegedly be able to play up to three hours of the game if the leaks are to be believed. The uh, Zug EX Industry Insider is yeah. the one who said that. He's normally pretty reliable, so it's entirely possible. Um, but outside of that, nothing else has been confirmed. So we're going to do a little bit of speculating. Um and let's see. Next up, uh, in a recent interview with uh, in, the, in a recent interview with Shuhei Yoshida, who's the president of Worldwide Studios, uh, Sony Interactive Entertainment. Uh, I actually appreciate this. This goes back into I, 
they need to do more of this if he's not going to be on Twitter. But this is cool. He mentioned the potential for Asian developers to join Sony Interactive Entertainment Worldwide Studios. And, quote, when that happens, we are starting to think that it would be interesting to think about creating games for the Asian market as well, end quote. Um, this mirrors their idea behind the China Hero Project that we were just talking about, where they partner with indie Chinese developers that are local to the area. And it wouldn't surprise me that they're using this as some sort of a breeding ground or a way to get some of these developers to fold into SIE uh, with games that perform well. Uh, one of the things that might end up happening in that situation would be things like, um, one second, got to plug my dying Sound laptop like in. Alex Jones just then. <laughs> <laughs> one second. Um, but, you know, uh, I... One of the games that I'm most excited about that's coming out of China Hero Project is, uh, good lord, uh, Lost Soul Aside. Uh, that game looks awesome, and I, I would not be surprised if it does really well to see Sony try and pull him in. Uh, they're really trying to break into the China market, and uh, you know the Asian market in general has a lot of room to grow. So this is cool to see. Uh, in the same interview, uh, he talked about PlayStation VR games and how the tech's getting a little bit better uh, and how they're learning more about how to make the games with the tech and that the tech for the PS5 will definitely help even more as they go through. Uh, but these kind of interviews are fun. This is He had an interview recently where he was talking about Ghost of Tsushima, thankfully, mm-hmm. and he was saying that every time he plays it, the graphics are so gorgeous that it actually adds an added layer of beauty to the Japanese landscape. Like, you know, some the game is able to do that much more to add, like, a more attractive layer on top of the already natural beauty that Japanese that J- Japan has in certain areas. And that was cool. Frugal Japan. Frugal Japan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's see. Uh, oh, last thing I wanted to kind of mention on that because I thought it was interesting is that all of that idea, what we talked about with trying to break into the Asian market and all these different things and having people fold in, this all goes in line and ties into, with, in my opinion, with what Jim Ryan said, PlayStation's head, um, said in regards to the importance of exclusives. You know, he was talking about exclusives are more important than ever. And that statement obviously ties into the mindset that led them into acquiring Insomniac games recently and would obviously be the mindset behind this, is that if, if those things are really that important, that's what you'd want to do. Uh, for all the things that I think definitely saw things that Jim Ryan says that are very stupid, I agree with this 100% actually. Yeah. Um, so He said some dumb things though. <laughs> that, you got to make some smart comments in there when you make some dumb ones. I know that from from. Experience. I'm still so curious too. Are the dumb comments actually from him? Are these PR prepared? I mean, they're dumb regardless. Oh, I know. So he had to be the dumb puppet, I guess. Well, I just mean like on weird ones, like where they said, like you know, one of the things that was always funny was uh, him down talking the older PlayStation games, saying that they looked bad. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> so, it's almost know, like they're, they're trying to they're don't try- say that about your own company. They're man. trying to. Uh, subliminally tell us we don't want old PlayStation games. Well, definitely not in the context of what, you know, I think there's a time and place for that conversation. Like if you're talking about new games and saying like, you know, uh, as much as we love those games on the PlayStation, uh, the technology wasn't there for them to look anywhere close. If you're talking about it within the actual aspects of game development, it's fine. But he was talking about an event where they're playing old PlayStation games and he's like, you know, I played some of those old PlayStation games. They're ugly. Your mic is just not loving you. All right. uh, Please consider subscribing to our patreon so that we can afford to buy solid new microphones dan these are brand new too like i don't know what just happened but it dude, just i fell. think you were just cranking the hell out of yours the first couple of days we got them i'm pretty sure you just completely stripped yours it's not stripped i can undo it right now and do it back again we'll see what happens either way get some smaller strings make them tighter um let's see next up uh 
a, a different interview with Shuhei as we're continuing going through that. Uh, he brings up Media Molecule's dreams for the first time in a while, and he says that they have a quote ten year in uh, ten year vision end quote for the game that includes growing the game alongside the community. Now, what's cool about this to me is that it, this implies that the game will definitely see some form of a life on the PlayStation Five, whether that's due to the confirmed backwards compatibility that we've already talked about a little bit in this episode or maybe even an official re-release or a patch to further leverage the PS5's power is going to be very interesting to see. And a 10-year vision is a lot. That would tie in in my mind to what my my long-running hope with Dreams is that they'll let people create games that they can monetize. Um, yeah. That would be amazing. I still hope to see that. Um, anything you want to add to that? Have you been keeping up with the Dream stuff at all? With the GameStop at all? Dreams stuff. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, every now and then on Reddit, like on the very front page of the whole website, you'll see dream creations. It's really cool to see that stuff. Some of them are beautiful. Yes. It's <laughs> did very... you see the people that completely remade the first level of Metagross Solid? No, I did not. Now I want to see that. It's pretty cool. Uh, and he's and I haven't even seen it in a while. He was continuously posting updates, but it was pretty convincing. Um, so that was cool. Uh, next up, with Anthems, and yes, Anthem, I will continue to talk about it. Uh, with Anthem's Cataclysm event coming to an end, BioWare have taken to their blog to thank players for improved community engagement and feedback to help continue to shape the game into better directions. The post was in catch with a promise that the game continues moving forward with a team working on complete reworks of certain systems that have been prom- that have seen promising results in early stages. A promise to utilize public test servers again ahead of uh, future updates to fine-tune the game to the community's liking, which a lot of people seem to like the first time around for the Cataclysm. And more seasonal content that's planned for this year which means that we shouldn't have to wait as long as we did for the Cataclysm to get another round of seasonal events, which is really cool. Good. Now, I mean, even if that means it starts in December and goes in the beginning of next year, that's still a lot less of a wait than what we had to the beginning of the Cataclysm. So I'm more put that on here for the people that do, and I know that we have people out there, Porter uh, and, uh, and RJ Loki and myself, and even though he tries to crap on it now, uh, Mr. Drago, uh, <laughs> we all played that game and enjoyed it when it was first coming out. I do think there's people who want to keep up with that and hope and see and hear this recommitment to not letting the game go under. And uh, they've kind of got me convinced that they're not letting the game go under anytime soon. I'll say that. Uh, next thing up, this one's pretty cool. Uh, Bandai Namco have announced a rather uncommon move with Code Vein's demo being updated to include a new playable zone, which lets you go back and refight bosses you've already defeated uh, to get better loot out of them, uh, as well as adding multiplayer into the demo so that the component can be checked out before the purchasing the game, which comes out September 27th. So that's uh, later. I think it's a Friday release uh, for us here. So if you are interested in the game at all, go pick up the demo. Saw if you haven't played it yet. Now you can play it I with did play other it. people? I did play it this week, actually. Did I enjoy it? It, it seems like the combat system is way over-complicated for what it is. Like, the whole switching classes and all that stuff was just too complicated. Hmm. I didn't feel that, but, I mean, I don't know. Because I... it's like you have to socket in the your your class, and then you have to socket in a skill, and then you have to socket in, like, a power. It just felt like it was doing too much just to change classes on the fly, which, to be fair, you're probably not going to be doing that much. Well, that's what I was about to say. I mean, I didn't have very many problems with it because... I didn't really change classes. Yeah. But I mean, uh, I guess in that type of game, would you rather be changing classes on the fly in the game or would you rather be replaying the game and changing classes when you replay? Let's say that you did like everything else about the game besides that, you know, and maybe you did, I don't know. But, 
you know, I, I know that when typically, like, you can't do that on Dark Souls really easily. You can't respect no, in Dark you can, Souls. I mean, so. you can, but it's not easy. Well, that's, what, that's what I mean. It's, it's not like, a, what I should say, it's not like Borderlands 3 easy. You can respect in Borderlands 3 immediately. Yeah. Anytime you want. Uh, whereas in a lot of games, respecting is a lot harder. So, right. you, you know, I mean, most people are not going to bother respecting in, in a playthrough on Dark Souls as much as they would just do what I think you do a lot. It's just completely restarting a new character. Or beating the game with the current character and going back and playing it again with a different class. Yeah, and I mean, even then though, like I don't like, and you might be able to change it because I only got I only got to play it right before I went to work. But the the control system, I hate like doing stuff with X to attack with stuff. Like the only game I think that got away with that recently was Dead Cells. There's an X to attack instead of like Dark Souls is ingrained in me now that L1 and, and uh, or L or R1 and R2 are like the best for those kinds of games. Actually, I agree with you on that, and that's a problem I've been having with Greedfall. <laughs> Oh dear! I thought Greedfall uh, was like. I haven't Souls. looked to see if there's other control things though. Now that I think about it, it feels a little weird going and having to do your main attacks on square and triangle. It's not been as bad uh, with Greedfall uh, because I've been playing that Siberian game and its attacks are on square and triangle, which for an arcade game makes sense. Uh, it's not as weird um, mm. as a side scroller game, you know. And I've been playing a lot of Metroidvanias. Most Metroidvanias do not keep their stuff on the shoulder buttons, so. It's not that weird. Uh, but yeah, you're all right. Games that are actually 3D like that, and definitely when they feel like they're trying so hard to be uh, or to tap into that Dark Souls style, it is a little weird that it doesn't give you that option. Uh, I can't remember if you can change it or not. You could probably look into that. Next up, and this is something I'm curious to see if you saw and what your thoughts are, Saul. Bungie announced their five-year Destiny 2 plan, which means that Destiny 3, if it does happen, uh, will be some years away still. Now, one of the things I haven't been able to figure out from this and fully clarify from... Uh-huh is what do they mean by five-year plan? Are they saying that we're already going into year three of the five-year plan, or is this a new plan that's five years from the start of Shadowkeep? You know, I didn't even know that that was something said. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of curious as to... Their wording is weird. They act like it's maybe that we're in year three of five, which would already be way longer than what Destiny's committed updates were. You can still play Destiny 1, but there, there hasn't been new content really since Destiny 2 is released. Yeah. Uh, so even if Destiny 3 comes at some point, it, let's say that Destiny 3 came next year, but these five years was also supposed to be tied into how they're going to keep supporting Destiny 2. It seems unlikely. But I could also see it being that, hey, we wanted Destiny 2 to be five years when the first one was shorter than that, so we're in year three of five and we're trying to show you that this is just the beginning. Uh, this is not the end. This is more of a beginning of a new change. There wording is very weird they say that shadow keep is kicking it off which to me sounds like it's supposed to be year one of five i don't think that anybody wants to play destiny 2 for seven years if they don't have to but yeah that all comes from the point of thinking that they can't change the game the game drastically enough through updates and expansions when they totally can we're seeing that with shadow keep so i guess it's more of the the precedent of what they've done in the past makes me think that they if you tell me that you have to make Destiny 2 instead of just continuing to expand on Destiny 1, then I would believe that if to make enough changes, you would follow the same somewhat dumb logic, in my opinion, of you'd have to, to make enough changes, you'd have to also make Destiny 3 instead of Destiny 2. Yeah. But, you know, I was but, curious. So the fact that you haven't seen it, I'm not surprised. I wondered if you saw it. Uh, I figured you'd at least see it in, like, social media news or Reddit. But maybe not dig into it. No, yeah, I haven't seen anything about that. But it's really interesting that that's kind of the way that they're going. Like, I don't know if I agree with it, but if, I guess... If you, had to pre- if you had to prefer one, would you rather see Destiny 2 stick around for two more years past Shadowkeep of content and then go to Destiny 3? Or would you rather it be that Destiny 2 has five more years of content starting with Shadowkeep? I think that Shadowkeep, if done correctly, like, like Taken King, can give that game two more years. 
Oh, I think so, too. But I think that then something needs to happen to be another big shakeup and maybe an engine change or finally coming out. Like, as long as, as it, since PS5 is backwards compatible, mm. as long as I can hit 1080, 60 on Destiny 2, on then maybe machine, you'll be okay with it. I'll be okay with it going a little bit for, a little bit longer. But if it's still 30 and it's just like I'm playing this game that has been out now for at this point in time, you know, or that point in time, like five, four years mm-hmm. after the PS5 comes out. I don't know. Like, it's weird. I guess like we talk about it, like as long as they do it properly, you know, we talked about it before that it would just make sense to make destiny its own thing and not have destiny two, three and stuff like that. Yeah, It really doesn't. So, and I, so my preferred way would be that you wouldn't even call it, you know, my preferred thing, and it's going to sound crazy, but they can't really. I understand why they can't because they've already committed to Destiny Two. My thing would be that moving forward with Destiny, I would I would drop Two from the name of Destiny, and it would just be Destiny. And yeah. you just it's just like World of Warcraft or anything else. You're just playing it, and it's going to continue to update. And however it changes is how it changes. Um, well, and I really thought that um, with the new light thing, that's what they were doing. That Destiny would be an all in one thing. Because now you're calling it Destiny, yeah, New Light instead of Destiny One or Destiny Two or you know. I don't know because they still call it Destiny Two, but I mean, well, that's what I, that's that's when I, I, I caught on and I'm like, oh, this could have just been Destiny New Light, and then just lose the two and not have any more numbers. That would be great. I just I, I don't know. I think they wouldn't do that for marketing confusion because Destiny One's still playable. I guess you could do what RuneScape does and kill the other one. Say hey. We're going to kill Destiny, and you can just play or rename original Destiny, right? Say, hey, Destiny 2 is now moving forward just Destiny, and anything that we come out with will be Destiny Shadowkeep, Destiny Forsaken, uh, all these things. And the expansions will be named, and this contents will come out. But RuneScape will do the thing where every time they'll just, you know, RuneScape Classic, or the very first version of RuneScape, was called RuneScape. Then you had RuneScape 2, but it was just called RuneScape, and then they called the other one runescape classic yeah and then when runescape 3 came you know in the at, at, you know 2013 or whatever it was uh when runescape 3 came they said well now this is called runescape and then classic runescape is going to stay for a little bit but they finally closed it down and now the old runescape that you were playing that was runescape 2 is going to be called runescape, runescape old school runescape yeah and you could definitely try and do that you know keep your namesake moving forward and just keep your destiny one servers alive for people who want to experience that and and do what you want to with it, and then just also rename it. Just call that. And I said, I've said before that Final Fantasy fourteen did the coolest way of ending a game, where they sent a meteor down and destroyed it, and like you could play in real time. Maybe the darkness invades or something and wipes us all the way back to whatever. I don't know. Yeah, that'd be pretty interesting. All right, we got one more thing here, and we'll get moving from there. Uh, the medieval remake from Other Ocean has gone uh, gold ahead of its October twenty fifth release date. Uh, I'm excited for that game. Didn't mean to give it any kind of. I'm not giving it crap whenever I said that I don't count it as much as I do something like Concrete Genie. I'm very excited for it, and I think it's priced perfectly. Thirty dollars for I a remake see more is gameplay, amazing. Which is why we're gonna. They've shown a lot. I know. I'll see certain I, bosses, but I don't like. Did you play the original Medieval? Yeah, I played it on PS2. Because I, I was asking Seth, and Seth was like, I, Seth didn't even know what it was. <laughs> Seth has, I, I learned yesterday, Seth has a really bad memory. <laughs> I, dude, I know. And I was like, surely I will show him a picture of uh, and he Sir Daniel, it. and he'll remember it. And he's like, okay, Seth, we borrowed that game <laughs> from a kid named Gunner. You should know it. He had it on PS1. Let's see. I'm about to say, you said, did you play it on PS2, or did you... 
had because I don't think that there was a PS2 version. No, no, I just said we borrowed it on PS1. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah we borrowed it from Gunner, who was a kid. Yeah, because there was Medieval One and Medieval Two. So, but um, Medieval Two was on PS1, right? No, PS2. PS2. Okay. Mm-hmm. On PS, sorry, PS1. You were right. I was going to say. Medieval 2 was on PS1. I got mixed up. You got me mixed up now. Uh, Anyway, and then they remade Medieval uh, for the PSP called Medieval Resurrected. uh, Resurrection. I heard that game had a lot of problems too, didn't it? I thought I remember when that game came out. Because that game came out. It was good. I mean, I played it. But, I mean, I wouldn't say it's perfect. Did that game come out around Tactics uh, War of the Lions? Yes. Okay. Both of those are pretty early games. I think both of them were 2006. Oh, boy. Um, like Good a, times. Like a Good time machine to go back times. then. Yes, it is. Uh, all right, so we're going to go ahead and move into our uh, main topic. And like we talked about uh, in our cold opening, uh, with this coming and this finally getting a state of play, I applaud Sony. Thank you for doing this. It's a good thing. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Mm, yes. Uh, the PlayStation 4 or 5 will not re- release in 2020. <laughs> Do you, did you see the blog post for it, for the state of play? It said, mm. just so you're aware, we are not talking oh, yeah. about our next-gen oh, console no, I or know. anything. But I said, just like I said with Days Gone, we're not getting enough Days Gone coverage. They gave us Days Gone coverage like pretty much the day after. So, when I said, we're not getting anything with Sony, then they gave us, oh, here's State of Play. So PS5 will not ele- will not release next year. I was going to make that joke, and I actually meant to when we were doing the community's take of... Uh, you know what we were doing actually was prodding Sony. Like, you know when you're playing a game, and this happens all the time. Liam had it happen the other day. You know when you're playing a game and you complain about it. When you finally actually put the complaint out there, you tend to beat it right after, or get whatever it is you're needing. So like, I can't beat this boss, and you can keep saying that inside your own head. But the moment you type it or say it to somebody else or text it to somebody, then you try it again. You beat the boss, and you're like, ah, all I needed to do was just reach out and you know i had to say something about it and complain to manifest my victory but it'll happen other things like i mean i can't get the i can't get this exotic to drop in destiny 2 and then right afterwards bam this is the exotic i got you know that's the exact opposite i find that i get exotics when i'm not looking for them and then when i'm looking for one liar's handshake i'm looking at you i I took me so long to get yeah anyway that that would have been a funny joke to make but hey i made it now um but you know, yeah, I agree with Saul. Let's just talk talk about the PlayStation Five. No, I'm kidding. I actually want to see what the PlayStation Four has left in it, which was part of the reason I thought the topic last week was interesting and kind of fun. Um, but here we are, Saul. I'm gonna let you spearhead this one. Um, starting with you, what do you what what do you foresee happening in this? More we Last know of that us. Last of Us happens. Yes, more Last of Us. And I'm gonna go on that. More Last of Us gameplay, and I want to see maybe something different. So we have seen snippets of Ellie gameplay. I want to see if we see what is rumored to be Ellie's mom. Yeah. As one and of the, if you play as her. Yeah. I want yeah. to see, you know, I don't want something spoiled for me majorly, of course. I wouldn't consider that a spoiler due to the nature of the first game. Um, but I would like to see a shakeup in that. I kind of want to see what else they have to offer for me because we know it's the same Last of Us formula. We know that it's... You know, from what we saw in the original well, trailer, we kind of get with what it is. Like we're we're familiar with it. I want something to show me something not familiar. Like from well, what. So, I, what do you mean by the Last of Us? Um, you say E3 so the Last of Us formula. But yeah. what do you mean by that? Okay, so the E3 2018. Um, the gameplay that showed the, the gameplay was very reminiscent of the first one. It, of course, because it is going to be because it's a, it's it is a Last of Us game. Um, and what I'm what I want to see is something that is unfamiliar to me while that gameplay was really cool and it was really well polished and the game looked like it played really well. I want to see something unfamiliar and that would be, and they did it. They hit the nail on the head somewhat with that second trailer 
where it was that muscular girl who people were saying is Ellie's mom. Oh, yeah. And they're like, who is this? What is this? It was very unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. We didn't know what it was, and it was a change of pace. And it pulled a little bit more mystery. Yeah, I want to see that, and I want to see what that could be. But realistically, what I think they're going to do, they're probably going to show a, a maybe 10-minute at most gameplay segment of the game. And then we will see the February 28th release date of 2020. So you did see that leak, right? No. Okay, so February 28th, if I'm not mistaken, is on the dot what people say it is. But here's the one. Wait, are you, wait, are you talking about the thing from the Swedish website? No, that was okay. I was gonna say that was paper. No, this one's this one's recently. This was uh, someone had box art for the collector's edition, as well as alternate box art that ties into the design on the new. So you know the new only on PlayStation sleeves. Mm-hmm. The the one of the arts, uh, and maybe it's the European version, but one of the arts it shows the Firefly symbol and that exact same thing, but it says Last of Us Part Two, and it's designing the exact thing of that. Um, here I could I could pull it up. I think Liam shared it to Facebook uh, oh, okay. in our in our group. Uh, but anyway, um, it came from a some kind of uh, a website and that it was leaked. They were able to find it. Well, if that says February 28th, I want to change my answer because I don't trust those. Okay. Well, here's my weird thing about that is February 15th. My weird things about that is that when you're looking at that and and somebody else pointed this out, but I already thought it the moment I first saw it. See, they go, see that right there. That looks entirely in line. And it even says only on PlayStation that looks, that looks real. Both of these look real. 100%. 100%. I'm not, I'm not questioning that at all. I'm not too sure just because that image of Ellie was literally the image I was playing around with the, with the oh, yes. thumbnail. I know. This would be easy to fake. Yes. But we, I also could see this being clearly. Because I, I, I literally have that kind of going on. Not but only it also right. says pack shot, not final. Don't be wrong. This can this could entirely not be it's, real. It's only, and it might just be because, but literally I've been playing around with that exact same image yes. right yeah. now for the thumbnail. But it looks and, plausibly real is what I mean. It doesn't, yeah. I, I'm not saying it's going to be real. Uh, but look, February 28th, 2020. And that's, that was what the leak said. Ow. Now that also ties into some stuff that uh, the voice actor for Ellie, Ashley said, Ashley Johnson, Ashley Johnson uh, yeah. in an interview, she said they said, "When's it going to come out?" And she kind of like quickly said, "Like I think sometime in February." And then, like the guy quickly went on to something else. Um, and why? People were, why people were like, "Whoa!" <laughs> so um, anyway, my, I can't ever tell stuff like that's planned or if like sometimes voice actors just is it being coy or is it or is it her like not realizing she shouldn't have said it? It seems like it's unlikely to be the second one. And she probably said. It with a little bit of a like we're going to stir the community what was up. the last thing that happened like that where the voice actor said like the release date during an interview and it was like oh wait no that's not it i'm just joking and it was it was something honestly i can't what do you guys let us know because i know it's it's been recent like in the past i don't know it feels like it's been within the last year yeah it, and it was a game that launched in the last year huh. i definitely know there was something done but i don't recall exactly what it was um anyway yeah, so keep going. What else? I'm almost guaranteed that we'll get a release date for yeah. the oh, rest I, of us. I now, it as to well. end off the the you know state of play, because this is only, only going to be Last of Us, I do think that is the main focus point of it. I think that we are going to get a rundown, almost watery version of what they're getting behind closed doors. And I think that we're getting the public's eye view of what that's going to be. Do you believe the three hours behind closed door rumor? I, I, I believe it's possible, but maybe, that seems like a little too long. Maybe unless three hours it's, total. Unless it's half story, half multiplayer. That could be it, yeah. yeah um, that would be and reasonable. And since, since you did mention multiplayer, I would think they would bring it back if it's going to be in the game. Oh, they've already confirmed it. They well. have? Okay. So then, yeah, I would, I would at least see to expect that. Um, if they put multiplayer on Uncharted 4, which was still well-received, um, 
when when Uncharted never really had people saying that it definitely needed multiplayer, it was always just kind of put in there. Um, I would be really surprised to see them skip out on multiplayer and The Last of Us 2 when The Last of Us 1 had a ton of people that loved the multiplayer. And the multiplayer is very active still. Now, they recently closed the PS3 server for it, but the PS4 the, server yeah, the remaster, is incredibly the, active. The re-release is definitely still coming out with things. But I do really think that the main focus of the state of play is going to be the um, uh, Last of Us 2. I do think we're going to get some off-the-wall VR games in there that nobody's expecting, but not many. Maybe one or two. Do you remember the second VR? I mean, do you remember the second uh, yes, that State was of Play? Very VR heavy. No, it was the first one that was oh, very VR right. heavy, and then it was the second one that was not. And well, that's why the I reason I, a couple. That's I, the reason I wonder is you, they went too VR heavy in the first one, and then they, people were like, "Hey," so they said no VR in the second one, more or less. Yeah. Um, and I think they might have realized or, or hopefully found a balance to strike with that because I don't think it's a problem to put them in there. Right? I don't think it's a problem to put them in there. I think it's a problem to do state of plays that are nothing but VR and then state of plays that are non VR or even 70 percent. Yeah, one, you way or, the one or two screwballs in there yeah. and you're good. Um, but I do think that we also might get to see some more Final Fantasy seven stuff, maybe very little, but there's been a ton of stuff coming out lately. So it's funny that you bring up Final Fantasy seven. Uh-huh. That ties into why I don't believe the February 28th release date. I believe February. I do not believe the 28th because that's a week before, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to say week before I'm going to change Fantasy. it to February 15th, the day after Valentine's day. See, that's what I was thinking. It'd be interesting. You can kind of pull on the Especially thing. Especially probably because... They, they've already marketed on this Ellie's girlfriend. That's why we, we, we all assuming. know she's going to die. That's why it's the day after Valentine's Day, not Valentine's yeah. Day. Yeah. Hasn't there been something else that's done that? Like, had some kind I of thing? I feel like a horror movie came out on Valentine's Day, and it was a... Well, that a, was My Bloody Valentine. Did that come out on Valentine's Day? <laughs> yes, it was. Okay. And it was the first real D 3D movie in yeah, theaters. Yeah, it was garbage. Um, had Jensen Ackles in it. <laughs> that's why that movie was garbage. <laughs> but... Uh, no, but I meant like a, a movie that came out the day after Valentine's Day and took place in the movie the day after. I don't know. I feel like that's a, that's if, not smart. If not, it feels like it's something that would have already been done. I do want to double check because isn't isn't unless I'm just crazy? Isn't it three three twenty for um three three twenty? Yes, for um yeah, that's a Tuesday for Final Fantasy. So if you went oh. a month back, the 28th would be the Friday before. It wouldn't even be four days apart. Or it would be four days apart. Say <laughs> so what? Yeah. Um, You're doing like some math now. All of a sudden. It's, like, <laughs> it's like a month and it's not even four days apart. I'm like what? But my point being is that, yeah, I, do you really see them releasing The Last of Us 2, a huge game, Right along beside another, even if it's timed, big exclusive that they've been marketing like crazy, seems unlikely. Uh, yeah, um, they did it with God of War, and um, I mean, well, no, they did. What was it? It was God of War and something else, wasn't it? One year, and then it was Horizon and Near the other. Am I getting that right? There was one month where they had, I swear it was February, March. Well, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, Near and Horizon are probably two and a half weeks apart from each other. That's what it was then. But that's not Even bad. Though technically. Honestly, I'm expecting, if you give me two weeks between The Last of Us and Final Fantasy VII, I believe most people would be happy with that. Most people could play. Uh, you, you'd get those two weeks of dominating sales. They're also sales. pretty most different play and beat too. them. Yeah, sure, but you still don't want to overlap. I mean, that's very similar to, like, you can say that there's very different audiences for Titanfall, which was way more based around the Call of Duty type of thing, and then Battlefield, but it's still a a bad decision to release them close if you don't have to. 
Yeah. I mean, you don't though, have to. You never have to, you know? I will say um, one of those is kind of weird because it is... They're both first-person shooters. Well, they're both first-person shooters, With but multiplayer. I mean, at that extent, then both of these games are third-person action games and to some degree. You I know do, what I mean? Okay, so did you notice in the last Final Fantasy VII, like, like little gameplay spigot of stuff we saw that, that you got to see Dawn's Lair and stuff, and you got to see Eric. I think it, the state of play will see that, that part. You sure? The cross dressing. You think so? Well, it's in the game now. Oh, yeah. There's no way they can get around that. They've already that. confirmed that it's going to be in the game. Yeah. They've confirmed, they've confirmed that multiple times. Well, there's no way they can get around that, so I do think that'll be a funny thing to have in there. Yeah, I, just, I wonder because of the social climate. You don't have to talk about it, and if most people who buy the game and play it won't care, but if you make a trailer specifically around it, you risk making certain people mad. I don't know. That's a good one, though. I still think that you're right. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Final Fantasy VII, but I also wouldn't be surprised if we don't because we've seen so much. One of the things I do hope with this state of play is that we're not only seeing things that we already know about because that just ties right back into the thing we were talking about last time. I would rather... I don't even... To an extent, I kind of understand being silent if all you have is the same stuff. You know what I mean? It's like... Side, For the most part, yeah, I mean, it, makes it doesn't sense. mean that you can't talk about some of the same stuff. Like, I'm, I'm glad that the last of us is going to be there. We needed to figure this stuff out sooner rather than later, in my opinion. But at the same time, I don't want the whole state of play to just be E3 2018, where it's just all games we've already seen, besides like the Resident Evil 2 surprise. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or Ghost of Tsushima, uh, which is also quite a surprise. But my point being, I, as much as I want them to talk, I don't know that I want this state of play. I'd rather this state of play be the one that comes out and says, hey, we realize that you, you guys still want to see new stuff that we've not talked about. So to that end, I mean, I hope that it's not... I hope Final Fantasy VII isn't there because they've been talking about it I guess so many other places. Too, yeah. you, you get tired of that same franchise. That's why I said it'd be a fun segment for it at least because of the, due to the nature of what it would be. Yeah, it would be fun. But other but, than that, like that's what they've been doing so well is that... I. You know, I would almost say this at this point, we're having too much of Death Stranding. So what I would really hope is that they would focus on some indies. Don't show me Death Stranding at all. Yeah. So I hear- Well, okay. I'm, I'm going to take that back a little bit. I'm curious. As the, we've had this conversation slightly on here. Are you still of the mindset that, and they've shown the bigger gameplay, and I'll give them the, that. I don't know that I want to see bigger gameplay. I don't want to watch 45 minutes, but I may go back and watch the Tokyo Game Show stuff that they showed off. Uh, I may yeah. go back and watch five minutes of it. Because, you know, I've already said that the way that up until the Tokyo Game Show footage that they've, shown, they, they've chosen to show the gameplay, the, that game was a master of marketing in all the first few trailers. Yeah. The moment they started showing gameplay in earnest, I was like, this is the most boring, untelling thing I've ever seen. So, You're not telling me what I'm doing in this game at all. The game, well, I'd rather you not show me anything. You at least had me by the... You had a hook in my mouth when I didn't know what was going on. And all I was like, that character is interesting. What's going on here? What's this cryptic in- imagery? I would have picked the game up without knowing anything about gameplay. I am less likely... I'm still probably going to... I mean, I've, I've got the pre-order in, but I'm less excited now that they've shown me gameplay because it's ruined the greatness that they built on prior. And I feel like now they're just doing it to do it. And it's that stupid, oh, this is so Kojima that you can watch him pee and that if you put a camera on his crotch, he'll punch you. Well, you heard what, uh, you heard what, uh, what Kojima said about the game, right? That the game is very open and, and vast and empty mainly because it's fooling you because it's PT. <laughs> it's really Silent Hills. I know that you're really hoping that that's what happens. 
And don't get me wrong, I will not have an ounce of madness in me if that ends up being what the game is about. If, <laughs> if that happens, I'll shave off my beard on stream. Okay. Straight down. <laughs> yeah. Because I still, I mean, I hope for your sake. I mean, if it doesn't happen. But I just, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, and I don't mean I hope that because I want your beard to be gone, but I hope that your excitement and your commitment to the it's not Death Stranding that I'm is PT about, thing. It's not even that I'm excited about it anymore. It's more of like, come on, Sony, don't let me down. Let's see. Right here it says, um, just out of curiosity, because they do seem to be mentioning in their little state of play thing that they posted on the blog that they're going to try and show more new stuff than than not. It says, we'll have some great news to share with you, including new game reveals, new content from PlayStation's Worldwide Studios, which I could see new content just being a new show at The Last of Us, if I'm being honest. Yeah. That's still new content um, and a host of other updates. But that's the only reason that gets weird for me is that a host of other updates makes me sound like that's trying to cover more of the stuff from The Last of Us Part Two and whatnot, and that maybe what they mean by new content from PlayStation Worldwide Studios is actually new games. And you know what would be fantastic? If this is exactly what I was talking about earlier, this is where we see Sony bringing in some more of those weird in-house made games from actual Worldwide Studios, but they're smaller like Puppeteer was and like Tokyo Jungle. It'd be great, actually, if we saw this be a lot of um, Studio Japan games. You know, that, would be, that would be great. Yeah. Oh. Speaking of Studio Japan, Japan Studio, we could do um, Elden Ring. Do you think Elden Ring will be there? Doesn't okay. it seem like they've kind of they've kind of hitched their cart to Microsoft? So no, I haven't gotten that vibe. Maybe yeah. maybe because they showed it off at Microsoft, but maybe that was just because Sony did not have a you know E three. I mean, that's definitely possible. But what I will say is that there was a there's a timeline of things that never happened that has happened for every other. Miyazaki game and I don't know because I want it but typically the way we see these games is we get a teaser, teaser at Game Awards we get a get uh, a reveal of what it is at E3 and then at TGS we get gameplay did not get gameplay at TGS this year so maybe this would be the, 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 the premier spot for gameplay finally maybe do you remember Bloodborne? We saw Bloodborne's trailer teaser. Bloodborne's really weird. At PlayStation's unveiling P- event. At, was it PSX? No, it was there. Un- if I'm not mistaken, it was for the at PS4. The, it was the PS4 unveiling event in February 2013. I, uh, I could that. be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. I do remember that. That was the one. That was a trailer. You, you that just was saw it was technically really, misleading, or not really misleading, but it, it just was, had the dogs and like the yeah. slow pan around it the made, corner. That was the trailer that set the precedent of it being a Dracula style game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people and and a lot of people thought because if you remember that was also where they showed off the order eighteen eighty six if I'm remembering right or at least they were close enough that people were like why does it look like the order and Bloodborne are essentially in the same world uh, so I'm glad they're not yeah they're not um, yeah I don't know that was interesting all right so anything else that you what I want to see here is those are things that we want to know about do you have any kind of hope for a new game from a well, from a studio that you that's just completely like is there a studio that you feel like has been quiet too long that would actually take this as an opportunity blue point okay seeing what that well, if it's Metagear solid demon souls whatever they're working on I want to see it that would be a great time I'm curious would Sony be ballsy enough to do that in a state of play they've not shown us that yet they need to show us that they're ballsy enough to do that yeah could you, do you remember people complaining that Death Stranding, and actually, I mean, I, and I completely agree with it. I understand it that for them to act like the state of plays is going to kind of replace E3 for them, but then to not have, not do a state of play for Death Stranding, 
and instead do Death Stranding through its own Twitch stream. Yeah, that was super weird. It just seems like, why would you not, and I get it, why would you not couple the name State of Play with Death Stranding? Because Death Stranding going to get big anyway. If anything, you're going to put more faith behind the State of Play branding by doing that, and it wouldn't have seemed like it was this long of a wait either. It just It was very odd. Everything that they've done with State of Play has been very odd. And I was really, I'm still in the mindset of this is the third State of Play. So as far as I'm concerned, this hopefully is, is, is this is where we feel, this is where they found their footing and they understand what's going to be. Yeah. Um, they even talk about it. There's going to be some new, uh, it's, it's 20 minutes long and sporting a fresh new look is the way they describe it. And I'm it. curious as to what the fresh new look is. I wonder, if is, I, it, is it going to be something like Sean Layden out there? Or is it going to be Jim Ryan? I doubt it would be Jim Ryan. It could be. It could be. But. Um, yeah. But, you know, and I don't really know what it would, like, how it would be sporting such a different look. Well, but. my point, I, I could see it a number of ways. The first two looked identical. But this also trying to find out what you're doing with these things. You know, one of the great things about these is that they show sm- smaller games. And I do hope that we see those. But show it in the most natural way you can. You know, the most recent uh, Nintendo Direct that talked about the new stuff for Pokemon, the new stuff for Animal Crossing, uh, showed off new games coming, like the Resident Evil games coming to the, uh, to the Switch. We saw... Um, the Xenoblade Chronicles remaster, stuff like that. Yeah. I, was, was I wish we would have saw uh, some some newer stuff, but it was still a good state of play or <laughs> direct. Yeah. And I hope the state of play has got the same idea. Show me some small stuff for sure. Show me some interesting stuff. And, and to that end, it would be cool to see Blue Point say whatever their reimagining of a game is or remake or whatever it's going to be. Um, and I still do. There's been so much hype around Demon Souls that I actually do think that what better way I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. Blue Point's Demon Souls. The reason I say that yeah. is that if it is a PS4 exclusive, that means Sony owns the property. Sony owns Demon Souls. They can very well do that anytime they want. PS5 to. launch game, though. They do not own Metal Gear Solid, and everybody keeps saying it's Metal Gear Solid. I do not think that Konami would let Sony release it exclusively and have their own have a, their own developer remaking it, though it's not impossible. Yeah. But I think of the two, it's way more likely that it'd be unless, Demon Souls. Unless... Kojima never left Konami, and that Kojima and this is PT. No, I was gonna say this struck up a deal with Kojima himself. Uh, that's yeah. never gonna get old. But my point being, you know, in the long run, is that I do think that if we're gonna see it, my idea for that is: Do you remember the fervor that they got from announcing that they had a From Software exclusive that was being co-developed with Japan Studio um, with Bloodborne, Bloodborne, and how much goodwill that got them? And yeah. while there's not been a Bloodborne two yet. What better way to get a little bit of that kind of fan fervor back by, by, the, by saying, well, see, that's what I mean. Instead of talking about Bloodborne 2, since it seems like From Software is not in a position where they can do it right now, then why not go, hey, let Blue Point, with the assistance of Japan Studio, make a, a, re- a remake of Demon Souls? And that seems like you would, you would, you do two things. The people who've been who have been saddened by the fact that Demon Souls online servers have been cut are there. The people who are saddened that there's not been a Demon Souls remastered uh, will get their thing because it's a remake. It's a step above. Then you get to be the point where the people who love Bloodborne but maybe maybe never had the chance to play uh, Demon Souls or maybe even love the Dark Souls games but never got to play Demon Souls and don't want to have to get a PS3 to go back to it. You get to tie into all these things. You get all that great energy. So I'm going to go ahead and say that if we do see Blue Point here, and I'll predict that we do, uh, just to do, just to do it. This is for fun. They pre- they announced it, and it's a Demon Souls remake. It would make sense. It's the right time to talk about it, and then you could say that it's going to release sometime in mid twenty twenty. It would yeah. be it would make sense. It'd be a good summer game. It's going to pick up fine. I mean, I, don't release it around all these other big games that are coming in the beginning of the year that we're seeing, like Final Fantasy and The Last of Us, very likely um, being hit, hit us with hit us with Demon Souls in in December. 
Ooh, that'd be weird. Would be. But be I feel good. like they'd save it for next year. Let that be one of those games. That goes back into my mind of let it be one of those games of the last calendar year of PlayStation. Be like, look at that. In 2020, the year the PlayStation 5 released, Sony released Ratchet and Clank 2. I don't think that's happening. They could do way. something <laughs> but, very uncommon for them. It's available today. Shadow Digital drop only. Ain't happening. Ain't happening. And also, I feel like they would release that game physically. They just know that that'd be a Yeah, that'd idea. be a seller. Collect- it's collectors. I'd buy it just for a console shelf, even though I don't buy absolutely. physically. I'd have to yeah, buy absolutely. it twice. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to go two things there. You know, one, the two things we talked about last episode that I think, when are you going to do it? This is perfect time. It's either going to be this this state of play or the next. If there is another Ratchet and Clank and you just bought Insomniac, then tell me one of those Insomniac teams is working on a Ratchet and Clank game. Bam. That's one of my predictions. My other, I, I do agree with Saul. I think that they'll probably start with The Last of Us, but they could end with it. it to me, it seems most. To me, it seemed best to start with something we already know about, but then give us the date, and then go on to, to new stuff within reason. Sunset Overdrive. Uh, I really doubt that we get that. I mean, it's it's. Possible. I'm just thinking of things that would surprise me at this point. It, that, that would surprise, but. Ah, you know what? They've been throwing the old ruse cruise around you because you know they've been talking about like we have no plans for Sunset Overdrive. Blah 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 blah. Uh, here's the thing, though. Think I really do believe that if we're going to get anything from Insomniac, it's going to be Ratchet. I mean, they have multiple teams. There's no reason they wouldn't be working on it. It makes sense. Uh, they have VR teams as well, so we might be seeing some of the Insomniac VR games making their way over to PSVR, the ones that are not already there. We may even see a new VR game teased by Insomniac. I unlikely to me, but possible. Um, Ratchet and Clank. That's, that's one of Insomniac. Two that would be baller. Oh, that would be so good. And dude, if you're why haven't me, they done that? Like that, this would be the perfect time. Kind of while they're being quiet right now, they could be release the remasters of yeah. games. That be, like, release the Killzone trilogy. Release the Resistance, Resistance trilogy. trilogy. Release Killzone uh, Infamous One and Two. Yeah, no, this is the time. If you're gonna be slower, else be like, hey, we're we're paying homage to the people that didn't play PS3 but have a PS4, and maybe we're interested in these games. Yeah. Also, like, what would you think about a Blue Point remake of Infamous One? Ooh, actually, I, I'd be more interested in a Blue Point remake of Resistance One. Oh, that'd be cool. Like a dark, gritty World War II shooter that's I would love that. alien invasion. Oh, Won't man. happen. I really, really doubt it. I feel but like I would the tone for Resistance, from what I played, was a little too light. Like, I kind of wish it was a little more grittier, a little more darker. Uh, man. Almost horror, metro style. I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I, what I'm saying is, I, I think Metro's a little darker, but Resistance is pretty close, man. Definitely when you start getting towards, like, the third ones. Uh, well, I'm talking about tone and environment, not a story. Okay, because yeah. Resistance was well, Resistance bite. One had the sepia thing going because it was trying to play that yeah. World War Two thing. I don't want that. Take I'm glad that they dropped that with every other game. Yeah, Two was really cool colors. It was vivid See, I didn't and play crazy. Uh, and then Three kind of mixed the two. It was not as vivid in a way that felt a little too unrealistic, but it was also like you still had some splashes of color, but it also muted it in certain areas to tie into the tone of what the game was trying to do. It was cool. Um, but yeah, that would be cool. I'd like to see that. Honestly, if we see an announcement of of remasters like that that'd be great who would be doing them is the question blue point is the people that handled the gravity rush uh remaster uh they also handled shadow the uncharted Col- one two Colossus. three remaster they handled the shadow of the colossus and ico remaster on ps3 as well as of course the remake of shadow on ps4 but that means that who are they going to go with because you notice medieval didn't go to to blue point who is who i think originally who's who it would have went with until blue point decided they were going to step up and start remaking games that's what yeah. it seems that they're into now is not remastering even though they were great at it so who do we see do that? That's the only thing I'm, I'm unsure of is that Bluepoint had a great history of remastering games, and I, I don't know who would 
take that role. We have to see what other ocean does uh, with the medieval remake to see what their role would be in times of, in terms of, are they going to continue to do remakes? Are they going to continue to do remasters? Or are they going to continue with PlayStation anymore at all after this? Yeah. They could become a renowned studio like blue point known for great remasters. That'd be awesome. We we need more of those. Not a bad thing to have a second great, you know, Backup plan, remake, yeah, re- remake, remaster, product, remake, remake studio uh, um, producers. All right, let's let's get this wrapped up because Blaze is going to be coming over here any minute. Sure. Um, I want to say that it, it would be great if we see a couple of smaller indie style games from Japan Studio. That'd be awesome. Japan Studio has still been pretty quiet this thing, so that's what I'm hoping. That's a prediction for, of mine as well as a hope. Um, Ratchet and Clank from Insomniac sequel. Sounds like a fitting thing, and you'd want to put it on the PS4 where the inst- where the install base is instead of putting it on a PS5, even yeah. though technically backwards compatibility would solve that issue at any right. point in time. Um, but do that. Um, Blue Point, if they're there, and I think that they might be, show us what they're working on. Very likely be Demon Souls. I'm going to say that. Of course, Last of Us, give us that. One or two VR games, be it exclusives from first party or uh, exclusives that are from second party connections. Uh, and what, what do you think would be a one final wrap-up? And then you can go ahead and give your list as well uh, of what you think, your inclusive list, and then what do you think would be a cool wrap-up? Because that's what I'm, I'm going to think so about for a second. I, I do think that they're going to have a couple of VR titles in there, a couple of indie titles. They're going to have Last of Us for 100% sure due to the marketing of what we've seen. Absolutely. And uh, I think we're going to get the release date. Like Brett said, maybe some multiplayer, but we're going to get some more general gameplay. And I do think that we... You know, the more I thought about, it, the more we talked. I do think we're gonna get to see what Blue Point's been working on, and hopefully, maybe something with Elden Ring. That would be the show ender for me. That'd be your show ender, yeah. Elden Ring update. Yeah, I think that'd actually be a good one. I'm gonna stick with that too, and it would also help people kind of go towards the thing of like, oh, it's, they're not just in bed with Microsoft. Yeah, it kind of will show like maybe this is important on why Sony should have an E3 every year, even if it's to get these games. Mm, that'd be a good one if it happens. That I'll say that I actually don't think it's gonna happen. But that would be the a hope, that yeah. would be a cool hope and, and, and a really cool show ending yeah. because a lot of people were like oh from software jumped over to Microsoft you know uh, which they kind of went platform neutral with Sekiro so yeah you pretty know, much or Sekiro whatever you want to call it Sekiro I, there we are guys uh, let us know what your predictions are that's the community's take beforehand yes this comes out um, on Monday yeah so State if, if you want to tell us Tuesday. Monday and chat with us in the Discord or on Twitter I'd love to hear what your predictions are we can talk about those and see if they end up coming true and then past that the community's take question is actually going to be that after the, the State of Play what did you think of the State of Play do you think that it came back strong and swinging and that Sony have found their footing uh, did you like what they showed off and is there anything that excites you the most or do you feel like the State of play still has some work in terms of finding its footing and being a um a good platform for someone to continue to use so yeah and we're going to go through on next week's episode for communities tech and we're going to mark off if you were correct or incorrect on your prediction so get them in get them in all right thank you guys thanks, guys thanks to our patrons dan barber josh jarrell matthew green my name is dan douglas below sean Sanarud, eric mccallister matt sycamore funk turkey shadowist steven salazar the Stonard, Travis Blow, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanlin, Coy Live, aka Kenny Everyday, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Philip Laguerre, Corey Hickerson, Brian Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, and Dylan Kirby. If you would like to support the show in any way, shape, or form, head over to patreon.com and give us patreon.com slash nartech and give us little as a dollar a month. Thank you.